0: Alright, tonight's class is on the Parsha of Kitavo. And last week's Parsha was Kitase which meant to go out and this one is when you come in. Kind of interesting. And each one of these Parsha that we're in right now since um, Tisha B'Av has a Haftura that is one of the seven Haftorot of Consolation. The reading of the prophets. It is a consolation after the um, fast day of tishba B'Av. <clears throat> Can everybody hear me okay? Yeah. So the haftorah begins in... Isaiah 60, and I want to, ru- to read this before we ever begin with the Parsha. Because there are some things that I want us to understand about the Parsha. I want us to kind of come to a new way of looking at Torah and a, and a new way of looking at the Parsha itself of Kitavo. So that's why I thought we would start with the Torah and the half takes us to a view of the future it's the, the hope of the redemption <clears throat> so it's Isaiah 60 arise shine for your light has come the glory of the Lord has shone upon you for behold darkness shall cover the earth and a gross darkness the kingdoms and the Lord shall shine upon you and his glory shall appear over you and nations shall go by your light and kings by the brilliance of your shine. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all have gathered. They have come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughters shall be raised on their side. Then shall you see and be radiant, and your heart shall be startled and become enlarged, for the abundance of the West shall be turned over to you, the wealth of the nations that will come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you, Young camels of Midian and Ephah, all of them shall come from Sheba. Gold and frankincense shall they carry, and the praises of the Lord shall they report. All the sheep of Kedar shall be gathered to you; the rams of Nebaot shall serve you. They shall be offered up with acceptance upon my altar, and I will glorify my glor- and I will glorify my glorious house. Who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves to their coats? For the isles will hope for me and the ships of Tarshish as in the beginning to bring your sons from afar their silver and their gold with them in the name of the Lord your God and for the Holy One of Israel for he has glorified you and foreigners shall build your walls and their kings will serve you for in my wrath I struck you and in my grace have I had mercy on you. And they shall open your gates always, day and night, they shall not be closed, to bring to you the wealth of the nations and their kings in procession. For the nation and the kingdom that shall not serve you shall perish, and the nations shall be destroyed. The glory of Lebanon shall come to you, box trees, firs, and cypresses together, to glorify the place of my sanctuary and the place of my feet will I honor. The children of your oppressors shall go to you bent over, and those who despised you shall prostrate themselves at the soles of your feet, and they shall call you the City of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Instead of your being forsaken and hated without a passerby, I will make you an everlasting pride, the joy of every generation, and you shall suck the milk of nations, and the breast of kings shall you shall suck and you shall know that I am the Lord your savior and your redeemer the mighty one of jacob instead of gold of instead of copper i will bring gold instead of iron i will bring silver instead of wood copper and instead of stones iron and i will make your officers peace and your rulers righteousness violence shall no longer be heard in your land neither robbery nor destruction within your borders. And you shall call salvation your walls and your gates praise. You shall no longer have the sun for light by day, and for brightness the moon shall not give you light. But the Lord shall be to you for an everlasting light, and your God for your glory. Your sun shall no longer set, neither shall your moon be gathered in, for the Lord shall be to you for an everlasting light. And the days of your mourning shall be completed. And your people, all of them righteous, shall inherit the land forever. The skion of my planting, the work of my hands, in which will, I will glory. The smallest shall become a thousand, and the least a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time I will hasten it. So this is the Hop Torah. This is the promise. The, the view of the future. Just one moment. A little warm in the room. <clears throat> so many times we get depressed. And we start thinking, wow, you know, things are so bad in the world and it looks like they're just getting worse all the time and we always hear bad news. But we can always go to the Torah, to the Haftorah, and we can see what the end of the story is. The end of the book of, of Isaiah. These are the Haftorahs of consolation after Tisha In Tisha we were grieving the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Yerushalayim. And in the Haftorahs here of Isaiah, the seven Haftorahs of consolation, it gives us the view that it is not the final word. The destruction is not the final word. That Hashem is going to bring it all to uh, uh, Restoration—it's all all going to be redeemed—and this is the Haftorah for the Parsha of this past Shabbat, Ketuvot. Now, this is a very important um, Parsha in that it talks about the law in a very pertinent way, a thought-provoking way. All of Devarim is a recapping of the whole Torah and it should bring us to um, thinking about law and thinking about our lives in a very serious way because through the month of Elul we're in this book of, of Tavari we're winding down the readings of the Torah as we're coming up to the end of the year and the beginning of the new year and it should make us think think about our lives think about our commitments Think about how we want our lives to go up a level. We're never going to be stagnant. We're never going to be in one place. We'll always either go up or go down. By our choice of what we decide we're going to do, how we're going to surface Hashem, we're either going to go up or we're going to go down. It's like the ramp going up to the altar. It was a ramp. It wasn't stairs because on stairs you could stand still. But on a ramp, it's not so easy. You're either going to go backwards or you're going to go forward. So we're ascending. And Mizrah Hashem, with his help, we're going up. We're going up to the altar. So, in Kitavo, it brings us to these thoughts about what is law. This is the first thing I want us to think about. What is the law? and I want you to answer what do you think what do you think is the law in a nutshell just tell me what is the definition of the law of the Torah God's Hashem's will that's right that's right and the that's one way of looking at it is that the Torah is the definition of what um, of what his will is another way for us to look at it is it is a definition of our role in the world so that's why we have laws when we look at Creation. we look at the earth and the earth has law of gravity it has to have a law of gravity in order to function properly so that's a law that applies to the earth and to the planet to all of our solar system to all of the galaxies they have to have a law of gravity otherwise they would be running into each other and so on and on our planet we'd be flying off into space there has to be law. There's laws of physics that at a certain temperature water boils. At a certain temperature water freezes. So on and so forth. There are laws. And so when people think I'm free from law you hear this sometimes. I'm free from the law. That is the most ridiculous statement you could ever think to say. Nobody not any creature in all of creation is free of law because law defines each creature's purpose in creation each creature has law that is a definition of its parameters of being. this creature is going to be so big he's going to weigh so much he's going to have this kind of fur or skin or something he's going to have arms or wings or feet some kind of something he's going to make a noise like a dog he's going to bark a cat is going to meow this is a, this is his definition of being that defines him he's going to behave in a certain way and we think about that in the very first Parsha in Bereshit when Adam was going to name the animals he had to connect with that definition of that being he had to c- connect with its essence of what Hashem had decreed for that being in order to give it a name like for instance the dog He connected with its essence that it would be an animal that would be man's best friend it would be Kalev he would be close to or like the heart, Kalev, and uh, this is the dog. That's just one example. And we're told every single creature that Adam named, he named exactly like like that, connecting with its essence. So each creature had a purpose in creation, and it was defined by law of its being and as this creature will fulfill his purpose in the world he fulfills his purpose this is what we call shira this is the song shira means song and the song that it sings is just its being in the world just fulfilling his purpose in the world and so when we as human beings obey the Torah which defines our parameters and defines our purpose in the world our lives become shira they become praise to Hashem as we obey Him as we do those things and somehow in our world in our we have this streak of rebellion where words like obey and judgment and those kind of words have negative connotations Where they should not have negative connotations because in when we're speaking of Hashem these things are really beautiful because they're the way that we connect with just like what you said Alan and Eileen Hashem's will which is his crown we connect with the very very highest part of Hashem by understanding by studying his Torah understanding those laws that define our purpose in the world so Kitavo in a nutshell talks about our purpose in the world and it talks about what happens when we do fulfill our purpose that we bring our down blessings and when we don't fulfill that purpose we draw down curses and it's not reward and punishment when we, we have a tendency to think in those terms. It's reward and punishment. But what we ought to be thinking is that it's more like the consequence of what happens. That when we do not obey Hashem, what happens is there is a discord. Instead of the shira that comes from the, the harmonious um, symphony that comes from obeying Him, that there is a discord. And it draws down a curse into the world. There's something that's a little off. And it just does not flow with creation. And so those negative things come down into the world. So let's start. It is the 26th chapter of Devarim, starting with the first verse. it shall be when you come to the land that God your God is giving you as an inheritance and you have taken possession of it and dwell in it you shall take a section of the first a selection of the first of all the fruits of the soil that you bring home from your land that God your God is giving you and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place that God your God will choose to give as a habitation to his name and you shall come to the priest who will be in those days and say to him I have given evidence this day to God your God that I have come to the land that God swore to our fathers to give us and the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of God your God so when you come into this land now it starts with this idea of bringing the first fruits of the land and this is something, it's, it's very important. It's something that is very significant here, that we come and we bring these first fruits to Hashem. And when we do this as the people of Israel, in the land of Israel, and by the way, we cannot, the people of Israel cannot do this outside the land. And we cannot do this without the temple. And so there are a lot of conditions attached to this. But this is a very <clears throat> important time when we would bring these first fruits. And what we're doing is we're expressing that we, we give to Hashem the glory, the credit for all of our being. And we're bringing our material wealth, the first of it, to Hashem. We're giving evidence that we own our fields only because we descended from the forefathers to whom they were promised. We're giving evidence that we own our fields, we own our homes, we have what we have, our our produce, only because Hashem has blessed us and set us in the land. And it's the declaration that we say is so important that I'm just going to I'm going to read all of the commentary about this because it is is really beautiful from Rob Hirsch. And you shall begin and say before the presence of God, your God, An Aramean close to ruin was my father. He went to Mitzrayim and journeyed there, sojourned there, as a stranger with a small number, and there he became great, a great nation, strong and numerous. So you begin to say, So he comes and he's holding in his hand the basket of fruit which by this symbolic act of waving it he's already consecrated to endeavors on behalf of God and mankind. He's making this offering in order to express his awareness that he possesses the land only because God has fulfilled the promise of the covenant that he made with the forefathers. And now he brings this basket of fruit before the priest. He looks back to these early beginnings of the Jewish people and in this formal declaration he stresses the historical facts which demonstrated for all time to come that God's almighty will and power were the sole active factors in the establishment of the Jewish nation. The word aramaean which the person making the offering uses to describe his ancestor implies the greatest possible contrast to blessed independence in a land of one's own to the happy state to which the fruits in the basket bear witness the land of Canaan was not the original home of our forefathers Abraham was born in Aram it was Aram that he called his country and the land of his birth. He himself had no right of domicile in the land, so that his descendants could have enjoyed that same right as his legal heirs. Our original ancestor had no home in the land that is now the homeland of his descendants. He had to consider it a special favor that he was permitted to acquire on the soil that is now the home of his descendants, a burial plot for his wife. As for his first grandson, Jacob, Israel, whose name the nation now bears, when he journeyed back to his Aramaean home as a refugee, eking out a living there by slave labor, again, his Aramaean homeland had no use for him. Threatened by physical destruction, Jacob was forced to run away from his scheming father-in-law, and together with his wives and children to return to Canaan as a fugitive, but there too he could find no peace. Famine struck, and once again he had to flee. He was still an man, still homeless, and because of his homelessness, combined with the most adverse blows of fate, he was close to ruin. When about to go to ruin, and from to go to ruin, it's the uh, words used here according to human judgment he had no prospects of ever attaining independence and it was in this condition that he went down to Egypt, a foreign land even more alien to him in its language, its customs and its outlook on life than the other lands he had known their forefathers had been promised a future as an independent nation on the soil of Canaan Yet it was as a family without a future, with rights of domicile only in Aram, that Jacob's clan went to Egypt. An Aramean close to ruin was my father, and the Hagada adds, he was forced to do so in accordance with the instructions from God. According to human judgment, the migration of Jacob's family to Egypt was a move still further away from the realization of the future that had been promised to them notwithstanding the instantaneous splendor to which they came their migration was going down or descent in the truest sense of the term for this reason the family was in need of God's words of encouragement do not fear to go down to Nitzrayim we see this in Genesis 46 3 for this reason too Joseph all the splendor of his high office notwithstanding, departed this life convinced that a special intervention of God's sovereignty would be needed to lead the nation out of Egypt and up to the promised land. However, they went down, seemingly close to ruin, forced by the pressure of circumstances, and in obedience to the instructions they received from God so he came there he sojourned as a stranger it had been their intention to to settle permanently it had not been their intention to settle permanently in Egypt they only sought permission to sojourn there as foreigners and this permission they did indeed receive with all the bitter consequence of dwelling in a state such as ancient Egypt as homeless strangers without a right of domicile with a small number of persons, with seventy souls. And there he became, there, contrary to all reasonable expectations, and united by their unique spiritual and moral qualities, which they had preserved in contrast to the indigenous population, they became a separate national entity. They stood out from among all others a great national entity, and by God's blessing, they became strong and numerous. And the Mitzrites treated us badly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor upon us. They hurt us. The Haggadah refers to the words of Pharaoh, let us deal cleverly with them, and it interprets this verb to mean they wanted to harm us and sought to diminish our greatness and break our strength. They afflicted us. This refers to the affliction of servitude, resulting from the alienation, which, taken together, constituted three typical aspects of galut in Egypt. So that was the um, the servitude, the affliction, and the alienation were the three aspects of galut that were established for the first time in Egypt. So this is. Um, a memory that is brought about brought up when we uh, waved the first fruits and we cried out to God the god of our fathers and God hearkened to our voice and saw our affliction our trouble and our oppression so we cried out refers to our affliction the servitude to our trouble and our oppression to the oppression and restrictions resulting from the alienation And God brought us out from Mitzrayim with a strong hand, with an outstretched arm, with great awesomeness, with instructive signs and punishing miracles. God brought us out with a strong hand, a hand that was stronger than that of our taskmasters and that burst the yoke of our servitude asunder. With an outstretched arm, this is an arm whose dominion extends over the lands of the world which makes all men sojourners with equal rights upon this earth, with great awesomeness, which all those have cause to fear who misuse the power and impose affliction upon weaker fellow men, with instructive signs and punishing miracles, his strong hand, his outstretched arm, great awesomeness, with which he put an end Israel's servitude, alienation and affliction were demonstrated by him in the form of instructive signs and punishing miracles and he brought us to this place and gave us this land a land flowing with milk and honey he brought us to this place to this place which he chose as a habitation of the sanctuary of his law and as the place where the law that reposes there, should be translated into reality. And gave us... He gave us this blessed land that encircles the sanctuary of the law, whose possession at last gave us the home we never had before. And he brought us to this place, refers to the temple, and he brought us to this place and gave us, as a reward for coming to this place, did he give us this land... (coughs) And now I have brought here the first fruit of the soil that thou, O God, has given me. Then you shall set it before the presence of God, your God, and you shall cast yourself down before the presence of God, your God. And now, and now, because we have obtained the land only through thee, and because thou hast given this land only for the sake of the law to which this sanctuary has been erected, now, therefore, I have brought here the first fruits of the soil that thou, O God, hast given to me. And for this reason you shall set it. You shall set down the basket of fruits before God, your God, upon the side of the altar, which is dedicated to the Spirit shining forth to you from his law. And you shall depart from his house with an act of frustration, expressing your complete surrender to God. But you are not yet permitted to leave the environs of the sanctuary, for as with any other occasion on which you appear at the temple, the act of offering first fruits too requires that you remain in Jerusalem, the city of the temple, until the next morning, and this is found in Mishnah Bikurim, 2:14 on Devarim, 16:17. <coughs> And you shall rejoice in all the good that God, your God, has given you and to your household, you and the Levite and the stranger who has entered into your midst. And you shall rejoice. Then after you have understood from your reflection upon your past that you have only God to thank for whatever independence and prosperity you now enjoy, and after you have expressed your renewed surrender to God based on this understanding you shall rejoice before God in good, all the good things he has granted you this is a form of rejoicing which like the rejoicing on festivals and you shall rejoice in your festivals is expressed in the form of the meal of peace offerings you shall slaughter meal of peace offerings and you shall eat them and you shall rejoice before God your God you shall rejoice in all the good the goodness and the rejoicing brought you by all the good things that have been granted you and expressed through the joy and elation. You shall have this expression can only be given by means of an inspired song. Hence, the offering of the first fruits requires an offering and a song. And this is in Bikurim, also two four. In the spirit, the entire performance of the commandment relating to the Bikurim, the offering of first fruits, was to be characterized in a mood of rejoicing. As a rule, these offerings were not brought to Jerusalem by each individual on his own. All the people of the cities belonging to the temple service district would assemble in that district seat, where they would spend the night outdoors. They would enter in any. They would not enter any house in town for fear. That they might become ritually unclean and consequently unable to make the offering at the temple. Now, how this would happen would be if they were under a roof and hasva halila somebody died in the house. Then their sacrifice that they were bringing, their first fruits, would be tame, it would be unclean. But if they were outside under the sky and hasva halila somebody died, it would not cause the fruit to be. So they would not go into a house for fear of the fruit being unacceptable. At daybreak, the leader would call out, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the house of our God. You wonder sometimes where these um, sayings have come from, where we read it in the Psalms, and here you see it in practice that the people were going up with their, their first fruits, and it would be a whole procession, a whole procession as they're going up. The procession was then led by a band of flute players and a steer, its horns gilded and crowned with a wreath of olive branches that was to be used as the meal of peace offering. And so they marched toward the outskirts of Jerusalem. When they arrived there, they sent word to the city to announce their arrival and then they set to work to decorating their baskets of first fruits. The warden of the temple his assistants and the temple administrators went out to meet them. The number of greeters would correspond to the number of visitors to be welcomed. All the workers in Jerusalem stopped their work, even if it was work they were under obligation to complete, and welcomed the visitors with words like, O brothers from such and such place, peace be to your coming. The band of flute players at the head of the procession Continue playing until the procession reached the temple mount. On arrival there, everyone, including the king, took his basket upon his shoulders and moved toward the antechamber of the temple. When they arrived there, the Levites began to chant Psalm 30. I can raise thee on high, O God, for thou hast raised me from the depth and have not allowed my enemies to rejoice over me. This is just so beautiful I wanted to just read it verbatim to you and I want to add further that one, when the people would come from the Galilee they would come down the Jordan Valley road to come to, up to Jerusalem and the sacrifices and the incense from the temple would waft the smell the smoke would waft down through the wadi and it would go down and I lived there I lived on these mountains over the wadis and so this was very special to me I would hear these stories of how you could smell the incense from the temple going down through these wadis and it would welcome these pilgrims who were going up to shrine with their sacrifice and they would know that they were getting close because they could smell the incense of the temple and I just you know when in 1992 when Bindle um, found the incense from the temple in at Qumran I and mean, we were just like oh my goodness thinking about those times you know <laughs> thinking about those times when the incense the, the smoke from the incense was so real because you could see it you, you, could, you could see it right there you could see where the Artina's family had made it and this was the incense of the temple that the people bringing their first fruits two times a year going up as these pilgrims rejoicing in Hashem could smell this incense coming down through the wadis I mean just imagine you could just close your eyes and you could just imagine going to to Yerushalayim just like that to praise Hashem in such a special, special way and I, I mean, I'm just, excuse me, I just get a little emotional when I think about it because it was just, it takes me back to where it was all so real because I lived, you know, I was living right there and I know living right there in the environment of line even today, is so special because, you know, this is the place that Hashem chose, that He says that His feet rest on the earth is the Temple Mount your It's just absolutely so, absolutely beautiful. <clears throat> so let me go back to where I where I had stopped, and then you shall say in the presence of God, your God, I have cleared away that which was holy from my house. And I have also given to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, to the widow, entirely in accordance with the commandment. If thou hast commanded me, I have not transgressed any of thy commandments. And I have forgotten nothing. I have not eaten of it in my morning. I have not consumed any of it in the state of uncleanness. I have used none of it for the dead. I have hearkened to the voice of God my God I have done entirely as thou hast commanded me O oh, direct thy examining look down from thy holy place from heaven and bless thy people Israel and the soil that thou hast given us it is very very special that Hashem gave us these tithes and, and why do we have these tithes we see here that we were commanded to bring first fruits the first of our fruits why? did Hashem need to eat these things? of course not was it so important to bring the first fruits in order to feed the Kohanim? we could have fed the Kohanim with something else but it was because of this ceremony to remind us of how we came to be in that land that very very special holy place that he gave to us, how he brought us from nothing to be in this place of holiness, of this very, very special place. How he brought us up from his shrine, how we had experienced redemption that would be a picture of redemption to the whole world. So, this declaration that we would say for the first fruits is a reminder, not just here's the first fruits and I'm being obedient, so here you go. But it's a reminder of the journey. It's a reminder of what brought us here, and those first fruits are meant to be exactly that: that we put Hashem first in our minds, that this obedience to Him is going to be first, the first thing we do. So then, in the fifteenth, on through the fifteenth verse, he mentions the three the three tithes that are commanded and it's very very important that we understand the significance of these three tithes the first tithe was the tithe um, there were three prescribed tithes and the first tithe the importance of it was to cultivate our spirit which was be enlightened by the Torah and then the second tithe was significant because it was about the care of our bodies and our moral purity this is this was how each thing that Hashem had us bring physically was to stimulate within our souls a reminder of something very deep and the third tithe is called the tithe of the poor and it's to stimulate within us our care for the welfare of our fellow man which we are to implement out of a feeling of devotion to our duty to Hashem and also to our fellow man it's to stimulate this to to rectify in us to um, cause our souls to become in the image more and more in the image of Hashem So we are supposed to be directed O oh, thou examining look that direct thy examining look down from thy holy place from heaven and bless thy people Israel and the soul that thou hast given us as thou hast sworn to our fathers a land flowing with milk and honey so we are thanking Hashem as we partake of these this um, special mitzvah the special of Obedience. You see, the idea of obedience is not a negative thing. There's all of these things connected with it. All of these things that it does for us. It's not just do this because I say so, but it's do this because you are going to benefit. It is going to cause a change in you. It's going to cause you to be calm. It's going to cause you to be formed into that vessel of my use. That I want. Now think about a vessel for a moment. If we decide we need a vessel to cook soup, do we want to make a thimble? Of course not. We want something that will hold five quarts or something like that. We want it to be made out of something that will endure heat. We don't want it to be something that will shatter. We don't want it to be something that will melt. We want it to be out of something that will endure heat so this is how we create a vessel on the other hand if this vessel that we created to hold soup decides I don't want to be a soup pot I want to be a teacup well think about that how ridiculous that is because the parameters of its being do not allow for it to be a teacup unless it would be a teacup for a giant but it wouldn't allow it to be a teacup it's made to be a soup pot and so this is what Hashem does with the law. Each one of those things that He tells us to do. And we see this in the command for bringing first fruits. That it's to stimulate this in us. To remind us of who we are. And how we came to be there. To remind us of our history. And then of the ties To stimulate those things. To form, form those areas of our being to conform us into Hashem's image. And on this day, God your God commands you to carry out these laws, social ordinances, keep them and carry them out with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today caused it to be said of God that He shall be a God to you and that you would walk in His way, keep His commandments and His social ordinances And that you would hearken to his voice. And God has today caused it to be said of you that you shall be a people belonging to him alone as he promised you and that you shall keep all his commandments. He would place you on high above all the nations he has created as a proclamation of his acts for his name and for his glory that you shall be a holy people to God, your God, as he has spoken so this is explaining to Israel and this is the way I've created you a holy people and holy means separated out this is the meaning of the word kadosh separate and what is what are the people of Israel separated out to be why is Israel separated out to be this vessel what is, what is the purpose of that It is not for their own sake. It is not for the sake only for Israel. It is for the sake of what Hashem is doing in the world through Israel. This is how he is forming Israel into this vessel for his use in the nations. And just like he placed the priest in this high place among the people of Israel, he places Israel in this place among the people of the world and so this is how he forms Israel into this vessel that he channels down the Torah into the world and we're going to see this next does anybody have a question about the first chapter of the Parsha okay So now we're on chapter 27. And Moshe and the er elders of Israel commanded the people saying, It is now for you to keep the entire commandment that I am commanding you today. Therefore it shall be on the day when you will pass over the Yarden to the land that God your God is giving you, that you shall erect for yourself large stones, and plaster them with lime. And when you have passed over, you shall write upon them all the words of this teaching, so that you may come to the land that God your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as God, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have passed over the Yarden, you shall erect these stones which I am commanding you upon Mount Ebal and you shall plaster them with lime and there you shall build an altar to God your God an altar of stones over which you must not swing an iron tool of uncut stones you shall build the altar to God your God and shall make an ascent offering upon it to God your God and you shall slaughter meal of peace offerings and shall eat them there and you shall rejoice before God your God And you shall write upon the stones all the words of this teaching so that they may be adequately understood. Let's back up for a moment. Mount Eval stands in Samaria next to the city of Shrem. It's in the northern part of Samaria. On the other side of the valley, Shrem sits in a valley between two mountains. The mountain of Aval is one and the mountain of Gerizim is the other. Mountain of Gerizim is called the mountain of blessing. The mountain of Mount Aval is called the mountain of cursing. So Shem commanded that the altar, and by the way, this has been discovered by archaeologists on Mount Eval, the altar be erected on Mount Aval. And the stones that had all of the Torah written on them were also placed on Mount Eval. Now, why would you think Mount Eval is a very barren mountain? Mount Gerizim is very green and lush. So why would you think that Hashem would command that these, the altar and the stones be placed on Mount Eval? represents the work of Hashem in the world to turn curse into blessing with the Torah yes that's going to come later but it also it represents the fact that Hashem and the people following it yes it also represents the fact that observance of the law of God and elevation of our earthly affairs toward God are not dependent upon earthly conditions because this altar where the people are going to make an ascent offering which means a complete offering of the whole animal it means this this is representative representative of complete surrender total of my whole being so it's made on mount aval which is a barren mountain Has no trees, no grass. It's barren. Has very poor soil. What it's saying is, you're following my law, and your complete surrender to me is not dependent upon earthly circumstances. Is not dependent upon if things are good. It's not dependent on anything in this world, like idolatry is usually connected with the tree or this particular rock that we're going to decorate with flowers or something like that especially in biblical times Mount Eval was barren of everything so it's not in this beautiful place where I can just connect with nature no it was not and that's what it was saying not connected to anything in this world it is connecting you with Hashem totally with Hashem so that we completely strive for the highest, the loftiest ideas without being dependent on earthly circumstances does that make sense? <clears throat> so all of these words of the law were to be written upon these stones so there, all of these focus only on Hashem right so our sages tell us that when, the, when Moshe wrote all of these, all of the law on these stones it was a miracle there were 12 stones representative of the 12 tribes and then he wrote all of the law on these um, stones the sages say that he wrote the law in the languages of the 70 nations and that in the years to come the scribes from the nations came and they copied down from their own language they copied down the law but to their failing their people did not conform to those things but it was instruction given this is this is an indication to us that the Torah was given through Israel on behalf of all mankind that even at the very beginning this is another Matan Torah this is another like Sinai the giving of the Torah it's the second time of the giving of the Torah so all the law was written on these stones it was covered with plaster and the nation's scribes would come and then copy it So that they could be adequately understood. Thereupon Moshe and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all of Israel, saying, Pay attention and hear, O Israel. On this day you have become a people to God, your God. Now therefore hearken to the voice of God, your God, and carry out his uniform system of commandments and his laws that I command you this day. Finally, Moshe commanded the people on that same day, saying, and he's telling them what they're going to do and we read this where it happens in the book of Joshua because it's not happening here he's saying this is what you're going to do the, the following shall stand on Mount Gerizim bless the people when you have passed over the Yarden Shimon, Levi, Yehuda Issachar Yosef and Binyamin and the following shall stand for the curse on Mount Ebal Ruvain, God Asher Zvulin and Naphtali and the Levites shall raise their voices and say to every man in Israel with a raised voice now when we read this we read only curses but we understand that the Levites would stand in the middle of the, of the mountain and they would face Toward Mount Ebal, and they would say cursed be cursed is the man who makes a graven molten image an abomination to God the work of craftsmen's hands and sets it up in secret and all the people would raise their voices and say amen and then they would turn to Mount Gerizim and say, they would say blessed is the man who does not make a graven image or molten graven or molten image an abomination to God, and each one of these verses is understood that it would be the curse. Curse it is, and then they would say, "Blessed is the man who does not do this." So understand that when we read it, Cur- and cursed is he who slights his father and mother, and all the people shall say, "Amen." Cursed is he who moves about. Ba- boundary marker of his neighbor and all the people shall say Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind man on the way and all the man, people shall say Amen. Cursed is he who twists the rightful dew of an orphaned stranger or a widow and all the people shall say Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife when he has uncovered his father's garment, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with an animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, amen cursed is he who strikes down his neighbor in secret and all the people shall say amen cursed is he who takes a bribe to strike down a man innocent blood and all the people shall say amen cursed is he who does not uphold the words of this teaching to carry them out and all the people shall say amen now when we look at these things we see that these are the kind of things that might escape the scrutiny of a human court these are the kind of things that could be done in secret and a person could essentially get away with it a person could commit idolatry in secret he could move his neighbor's boundary and nobody would know he could mislead a blind man and who would know he could twist the, the rightful due of an orphan and who's going to speak up for him he could do that in secret he could commit sexual sins and do this secretly he could get away with it he could take a bribe and no one would know and so these are the things that could assist the scrutiny of a human court but what Hashem is saying to the people is it will not escape the scrutiny of the heavenly court and you will draw a curse into the world if you do these things by the same token and this is why the the Midrash says that the priests turn to the other mountain and with each statement they would turn it to the positive. They would say, blessed is the man who does not do this. They would turn it to the positive because by the same token, the person who does not do that, the person who refrains from doing those things, and maybe it's a temptation, but he still refrains from doing those things, draws down into the world blessing. So what he's saying is, this is is the curse are a description of how a person is not supposed to act this is a description of what is not normal to a righteous person and he draws a curse into creation if he does it and by this we see how we are all connected how all of creation all of the nation of Israel all of creation is connected that anytime we break the law of Hashem we cause a discord we cause something to be broken in creation and it hurts not just ourselves and this is what the point is that you're going to draw a curse into the world it isn't just going to hurt you and it's nobody else's business it doesn't work like that sin doesn't work that way sin draws down damage. It causes damage in the world. So, when you commit a sin even in secret this is what the Torah is saying even if you commit a sin in secret, you are causing damage to all of creation. So this is the end of this chapter. Does anybody have a question about this? we can look at these things that are called curses in Israel and we can understand by understanding the Noahide laws that all of these things that are that are curses on the people of Israel are also applicable to all mankind that for every person if they do these things it will draw a curse into the world these laws here. These things are not only for the people of Israel. They're for all mankind. Okay, now we're to chapter 28. And we have to understand something too. That when Hashem gave the law to Israel and he said, and if you will follow my law and you will do these things and you will abide by what I've said, All these blessings will come upon you. And what he's describing, and this is in the next chapter, what he is describing is the ideal society. The way that he meant the world to be from the very beginning of creation. Without sin, this is what the world would look like. This is the ideal. And so, after the fall of man, it wasn't going to be the entire world, but here he has Israel. And Israel is... Here you have a chance. Draw redemption down into the world. And this is what it looks like. This is the, what the blessing drawn into the world looks like. And from Israel will flow out to all the world so that all the world can come into that perfection that was meant to be from the time of creation. So, Verse 1. And it will come to pass, if you will hearken, Hearken ever more earnestly to the voice of God, your God. Punctuously to carry out all his commandments that I command you today. God, your God, will set you on high. High above the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you will hearken to the voice of God, your God. Blessed will you be in the city and blessed will you be in the field. Blessed will be the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your soil, and the fruit of your livestock, the litter of your cattle, and the riches of your sheep. Blessed will be your basket and your kneading trough. Blessed will you be when you come in, and blessed will you be when you go out. God will deliver your enemies that rise up against you, beaten before you. They will march against you upon one road, and they will flee before you upon seven roads. God will command the blessing with you in your storehouses and in everything to which you put your hand and he will bless you in the land that God your God is giving you thus will God raise you up for himself as a holy nation as he swore to you if you will keep the commandments of God your God and walk in his ways and all the peoples of the earth will see that the name of God is called upon you and they will be afraid of you God will mark you up for goodness in the fruit of your body and in the fruit of your livestock in the fruit of your soil upon the soil that God has sworn to your fathers to give you. And what he's saying when he's saying that all of the nations will be afraid of you all the nations will be afraid to attack you. They won't be saying "Oh Israel where is your God because it will be obvious obvious from the blessings. God will open to you his best treasure the heaven to give to you the reign of your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand you will lend to many nations but that you will not borrow God will make you the head and not the tail you will be above and not below if you will hearken to the commandments of God your God which I command you today to keep them and to carry them out and if you will not turn aside from all the words which I command you today neither to the right or to the left to follow other gods to serve them but it shall come to pass if you will not hearken to the voice of God your God to carry out punctuously all his commandments and his laws that I command you today then all these curses will come upon you and overtake you and so as we have seen with when we first read the curses, how it also had blessings corresponding to it. Here we see the blessing, and there is a corresponding curse that goes with it. If you do these things, you will be blessed. If you do not do these things, these curses will come upon you. Cursed will you be in the city, and cursed will you be in the field. Cursed will be your basket and your kneading troughs. Cursed will be the fruit of your body and the fruit of your soil the litter of your livestock and the riches of your sheep cursed will you be when you come in and cursed will you be when you go out God will unleash against you the curse, restlessness and the feeling of guilt in everything to which you put your hand so that you will be destroyed and perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings in that you have forsaken me God will make the pestilence cling to you until he wipes you out from the soil to which you are now coming to take possession of it. God will strike you with consumption and with the heat of fever, with inflammation, with parchedness, and with the drying up of the sap, with the wasting away and with cholerus. These will pursue you until you perish. Your heavens that you that are above will your head will be brass and the earth that is beneath you will be iron. God will give the rainfall of your land in the form of dust and earth it will come down upon you from heaven until you are destroyed God will cause you to be beaten before your enemies you will march against him upon one road and you will flee before him upon seven roads so that you will become a horror to all the nations of the earth a horror or as the prophet said a byword so that people curse by your name the corpse, your corpse shall remain as food for all the fowl of the heaven and the beasts of the earth and there will be no one to frighten them away God will strike you with the boils of Mitzrayim with the hemorrhoids with oozing and dry scabs of which he cannot be cured God will strike you with insanity and with blindness and with mental confusion you will grope about at noontime as the blind man gropes in the darkness and you will not carry your ways to a successful conclusion. You will only be cheated and robbed all the time, and there will be no one to help you. You will betroth the woman, and another man will cohabit with her. You will build a house, and you will not live in it. You will plant a vineyard, and you will not enjoy its first vintage. Your ox will be slaughtered before your eyes, and you will not eat of it your donkey will be snatched from before you and you will not return the sheep will be given to your enemies and there will be no one to help you your sons and your daughters will be given to another people and your eyes will see it and languish for them all day long but your hand will be powerless the fruit of your soil and that of your toil a people that you do not know will consume and you will only be cheated and crushed all the time and you will go insane from the sight of your eyes that you will see. God will strike you with evil boils on your knees and thighs of which you cannot be cured from the sole of your foot to the crown of your head. God will lead you and your king whom you will set above yourself to a nation neither you nor your fathers have known and there you will serve other gods of wood and stone. But you will become a desolation as an example and an object lesson among all the peoples to which God will lead you. You will take much seed out to the field and you will bring little back, because the locusts will pick it off. You will plant vineyards and work hard to cultivate them, but you will not drink the wine, nor gather the grapes, because the worms will eat it. You will have olive trees throughout your territory, but you will not anoint yourself with oil, because your olive tree will cast off its fruit. You will beget sons and daughters They will not remain yours because they will go into captivity. All your trees and the fruit of your soil will be possessed entirely by a swarm of locusts. The stranger that dwells in your midst will rise higher and higher above you and you will descend lower and lower. He will lend to you, but you will have nothing to lend to him. He will be the head and you will be the tail. And all these curses will come upon you and pursue you and overtake you until you were destroyed because you did not hearken to the voice of God, your God, to keep his commandments and his laws that he commanded you. And so they shall be upon you as a sign and as an instructive wonder upon your descendants forever. Now remember in the beginning with the Bikurim, with the first fruits, how we said this declaration that the plagues that came upon Egypt were exactly this. A sign and an instructive wonder. So here it is again. And since, and this is an instructive wonder to us, is the curse, we do not obey the commandment of Hashem. Since you did not serve God your God with joy and with gladness of heart, by reason of abundance in all things, therefore you will serve your enemies whom so God will sin against you in hunger and in thirst, in nakedness and in want of all things. And he will place a yoke of iron upon your neck until he has destroyed you. God will bring upon you a nation from afar, from the ends of the earth, swooping down like an eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand, a nation of harsh countenance that has no consideration for the aged and shows no favor to the young it will eat the fruit of your livestock and the fruit of your soil until you are destroyed because it will not leave you grain, wine or oil nor litter of your cattle nor the riches of your sheep until it has caused you to perish it will lay siege to all your gates until your high and fortified walls in which you put your trust will come down throughout your land it will lay siege to you and all your gates throughout your land that God, your God, has given you you will eat the fruit of your own body the flesh of your own sons and daughters whom God your God has given you in the siege and the oppression with which your enemy will oppress you the most delicate man among you and the most self-indulgent will cast a grudging eye upon his brother upon his bosom wife upon the remnant of his children whom he has left over so that he will not give any one of them the flesh of his children whom he will eat because he will have nothing else left in the siege and in the oppression with which your enemy will oppress you in your gates. The most delicate woman among you, the most self-indulgent who otherwise would not even attempt to set the sole of her foot upon the ground because of her fastidiousness and delicacy, will cast a grudging eye upon her bosom husband, upon her son and upon her daughter, upon the fruit of her own body, on the children that she bears when she eats of them in secret for utter want in the siege and in the oppression with which your enemy will oppress you in all your gates if you will not be careful to carry out the words of this teaching that are written in this book to fear this name which is to be honored and feared the name of God your God God your God will make your plagues and the plagues of your descendants wondrous sufferings great and enduring sicknesses evil and enduring he will bring back upon you all the sicknesses of Mitzrayim that you dreaded and they cling to you also every illness and every plague that is not written down in the book of teaching will God bring upon you until you are destroyed and you will be left only few in number instead of being as you were like the stars of heaven in the multitude because you did not hearken to the voice of God your God and it will come to pass that even as God rejoiced over you in to do good to do you good and to multiply you so will God rejoice over you to cause you to perish and to destroy you and you will be snatched from the land to which you are now going to take possession of it and God will scatter you among all the peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth and there you will serve other gods whom neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone and among these nations you will find no peace and there will be no place for rest for the sole of your foot there God will give you a heart full of trembling and languishing of the eyes and grieving of the soul your life will always hover in the balance you will be in terror day and night and you will have no faith in your life In the morning you will say, Would that it were evening, and in the evening you will say, Would that it were morning, because of the terror of your heart that will fill you, and because of the sight of your eyes that you will see. Indeed, God will cause you to return to Mitzrayim and ships in the manner of which I said to you, so that you will never see it again. You will there offer yourselves for sale as manservants and maidservants to your enemies, but there will be no purchaser. These are the words of the covenant which God commanded Moshe to establish with the sons of Israel in the land of Moab, beside the covenant which He had established with them at Horeb. So this is the end of this chapter, and it's you know it's very graphic, all of the curses that come about. And when we read this, we are tempted to think, we're tempted to look at this in a way to say, well that's punishment that's God saying and if you don't do what I say I'm going to smash you I'm going to bring all these terrible things on you but let's look at it in a different way let's look at it in a way that is saying what Hashem is saying is that this is a prescription this is the prescription this is the, the definition of the blessing is a definition of redemption Keeping my laws is a definition of your role in the world. And if you step out of that definition, if you choose something else to be something other than I created you to be, this is going to be the result. It's not that Hashem says that I'm going to smash you down. That's not it. What he's saying is if you step out of these parameters, it's a warning. This is what's going to happen here is going to be the result. If you are not keeping my law, there will be no fear among your enemies to come and attack you. There will be nothing to keep them away if you are not keeping my law. He's telling the people, individually first and then as a nation, what is the result, what is the consequence of breaking his law. And this is instructive for all of us. That he gives us, it's not just a choice of here's, here's what will happen if you're good and here's what's going to happen if you're bad. That's a very simplistic way of seeing it. But, it's, but rather, it's, it's telling us that if we obey his laws, if we do what he is saying is the right thing to do, then we are behaving in a way that he created us to behave. It's like the dog is um, being man's best friend. And so this man loves this dog because he's being man's best friend, which is what he was created to be. But what if he decides that he doesn't want to be man's best friend? He wants to be a wolf. He's a dog, but he decides he wants to be a wolf. Or he wants to be, you know, a cat. And he wants to be aloof. He's not going to have the same benefit. Okay, that's a pretty poor example but it's really very very serious that we, we really connect with what, what the Torah is telling us very serious that when we read blessings and cursings, that we understand that he's telling us first a list of things that are done in private and not only the things that are done in private but also the condition of the heart When he says, cursed is the man who does these things. Think about it. He says, cursed is the man who makes a graven image. Not only that, but a man who secretly desires it. Who secretly thinks, oh, that sounds attractive. That sounds like something. He's talking about the condition of his soul. He says, cursed is he who slights his father or mother. Well, this is something that he doesn't have to do overtly. He can think just think, Oh, they just get on my nerves so much. You know, and he never has to say a word, but it's a condition of his heart. And he's saying that this condition, this attitude, this countenance that we have is demonstrating the condition of our soul. And so this is instructive. These curses that we read and we can read with it a blessing is instructive. These things are, are connected. And this is instructive to how we want our soul to be conformed. Conformed to the image of Hashem. said, so this is the way you ought to be. This is the way you're not supposed to be. And by the opposite this is the way you ought to be and if you commit these curses, the cursed things even in your heart, even in secret even in your thoughts this demonstrates your countenance of your soul and you're going to be drawing down curses into the world even if you haven't actually done anything if you even have these desires do this. Or if you haven't, even if nobody has known you've done it, you do it in secret. And he makes that point here. And sets it up in secret. Even if nobody knows, you're drawing the curse into the world. And so then in the very next uh, chapter, two chapters, well, the very next chapter, after he tells you the beautiful picture of the of how the world will look if only you live these ways, if your soul is conformed into the image of Hashem, in the way that he made you, the way he formed you, so that you can be that vessel that he pours his light into the world through. You see, if we are doing these things that he calls cursed, we're doing things that are called abomination, even if that's our thought pattern even if that's just the condition of our heart we are not adequate vessels for him to pour his light into the world we can't contain it there's just no way we can contain it and by that token by by his light not being able to come into the world a curse comes into the world by the absence of Hashem's light and that is what he's telling us he does not want These curses to be in the world, but in order for them not to be in the world, in order for there to be blessing instead, there has to be His light. And what is His light? It is the Torah. The Torah. The words, the instructions, all of these things are only the garments of the Torah. It's only the way we perceive the Torah. The actual, literal, what is the Torah? It is the light, the, the essence of Hashem Himself. And this is what He's calling us to be. is to be vessels, conform ourselves, our souls so that we can be vessels that can be sturdy enough, can be made of the substance, not like the shattering glass on the fire, but can be made of substance that can withstand His light coming through us into the world. And by that blessing comes into the world and this is what he's telling this is his will and by that we connect with his will the crown of Hashem the highest highest place of Hashem we connect with and and we're able to channel down that light of his will into the world and this is the covenant these are the words of the covenant So the very last part of the Parsha I'm going to quickly read it Moshe called to all of them Israel and said to them you have seen all that God did before your eyes in the land of Mizraim to Paro and to all his servants and to all his land the great acts of proof that your eyes have seen those great signs and instructive miracles But with all this God did not give you a heart to recognize or eyes to see or ears to hear to this day. Then I led you for forty years in the wilderness. Your clothes did not wear out on you. Your shoes did not wear out upon your foot. Here is where we see it in the written Torah. That the clothes and their shoes were miraculously preserved for forty years you neither ate bread nor drank wine and strong drinks so that you might know that Ani Adonai is your God and you came to this place and Sichon, king of Heshbon and Og king of Bashan came out against us into war and we struck them down we took away from them their land and gave it to the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half tribe of Manasseh therefore keep carefully the words of this covenant and carry them out so that you may practice intelligently everything you do so this is his instruction Sechel use your intelligence use your your spiritual intelligence your chokhmah, your Bina this Chabad it's together it's the intelligence that he gives you to perceive to perceive not just with your mind listen with your ears your physical ears yes but also with your spiritual ears perceive with your spiritual deep deep knowledge that connects with Hashem to know that what you're hearing is truth so that you can tell one thing from another thing so that your eyes are not deceived your ears are not deceived and you're only instructed through the Torah and my goodness Today, we understand how all around us is deception. All around us is all kinds of things that people call truth, that people understand as political correctness and so on and so forth. And if we are not instructed in Torah to what is really truth, we can easily be deceived, easily be swept away into false sense of morality. There's so much in the world now where people think it is moral and it's good because it's being the nice guy and a lot of times what they consider what people consider being the nice guy is not moral it is not outstanding and certainly not godly because morality in the world has become so distorted because it is not grounded in Torah so for us to be truly godly and for us to be truly wise and follow this instruction of of Moshe to practice intelligently we have to be completely grounded in Torah and know one thing from another thing and choose those things that draw the blessing into the world rather than the curse and in this way and only this way can we fulfill the purpose that we were created for that our souls came into the world for. And I, I and I want to end with this. To me, I think the saddest thing, the saddest end of a person's life can be if he did not fulfill his purpose in the world. If he just went astray and is in something completely different. He did not fulfill his purpose in the world. That is the definition of failure. That is a failure. That is a loser. So we don't want to be losers. The only way that we can really, really be winners is to fulfill our purpose in the world. And that is by living the laws of the Torah. Does anybody have any question or any comments that you would like to make? still absorbing things. (laughs) Okay, good. Good. I see more typing going on. now the Shabbat after this coming Shabbat is Rosh Hashanah it's the beginning of the new year so I want all of us to think about and I'm going to there's going to be a test I'm going to ask you next week what you have decided you would like to have as, like you make a new year's resolution I want you to think about how you want to change your life. Something you want to do, make different in your life in the coming year. Now, the Arab propaganda is what gets to me how deceitful. Right. That is very deceitful and that's a very good example of how truth can just be twisted and turned upside down And so many people can believe it. I mean, it's just amazing how people are so apt to believe a lie rather than the truth. And that's a very good example of that. So next, like I said, week after next is Rosh Hashanah. So um, next week we're going to have a class on... Monday and then because Rosh Hashanah falls on Shabbat and um, Sunday the, next, the following Monday we can also have a class and what I'm going to do is since we have these double readings coming up next week we have a double reading I'm going to split that and we're going to take one of those Parsha Od at a time each week and so we're not going to read a double portion we're not going to kill ourselves over it we're going to take, because we'll have time and we're going to take one for each week and um, because I think it's very important and if possible I want us to completely like the very last part of the Torah the very last part of the Torah is the vision of, of Moshe The blessing of Moshe, uh, sorry, bracha. First is the vision of Moshe, ha'adzinu, and then is bracha. And I do want us to complete all of these parshaot before we get to Um And possibly, if there's, if there is a possibility, maybe if there's a possibility, um, I would like to try to spend two weeks on sheet if possible, like I said. I'll look at the calendar and see if we can do that because I don't want to get off too much off of the annual reading. And another thing I would like to add is that next, when we do start the cycle over again we're going to be doing it a little bit differently Um, and that's why I would like to break Bereshi into two parts because what I want to do in the coming cycle some of you were in my class in the virtual yeshiva that I had for spirituality for the nations and I was teaching um, meditation in that class. So what I wanted to do in the coming weeks, after when we start the the Torah parshas over again, when we start with sheet again, is that each week, what we're going to do is we're going to incorporate into the Torah meditation and prayers, where we're going to be taking the parsha, we're going to be taking the Torah itself and turning turning it into a prayer because I want us to be able to incorporate these things into our lives in more than just an intellectual way but to make it very, very deep where it comes into our souls and it really transforms our lives this class is not just for intellectual learning I want it to really be life-changing where it's really conforming our souls to be those vessels of Hashem in the world so we're going to do a little bit of a few things and another thing I want to to emphasize again that I would like us to do um, is I would like everybody to get a notebook a large three ring binder and I want you to get um, like tabs make a divider for each parsha of the year of the week, and in that you can put like the highlight of the parsha of what the parsha is about on the first page, and then within that you can write something about the parsha, what meant, something meant to you, something going on in the world, something that stood out to you that week something that happened in your own life, something that you've learned that was special, and put it in there with a date. And if you will do this, and you will add to that notebook through the years, year after year, you'll go back over that, like this week, this was the Parsha. And then next year it's going to be on this week of this reading of the Parsha, something else happened to you. And you'll see a progression of how the Torah is conforming you, how you go through the cycle of those readings year after year, and you can see at this time in this year, this was going on in my life. One of the most outstanding examples I can give you, one that you're going to remember, is Parshat Ra'eh. Where were you last year during Parshat Ra'eh? And I'll give you a hint. Katrina hit the United States. So think about it. We were reading Parsha A and Katrina hit the United States. For me, that had a lot of significance and I wrote a whole piece about that during that time, right after that happened. All the significance of what had happened with the, with the dismantlement of Gaza and then Katrina hit the United States. And the Parsha was Ra'eh. And what does Ra'eh mean? It means see. And during the Parsha where it says see, the eye of the hurricane hit the United States. That was pretty significant. And that was 2005. So just like that. And you can keep these kind of things. How the Parsha is speaking to you this year, next year, the next year. And it's a chronicle of not only your learning Parsha, but also a chronicle of your own life, of the development of your own soul with the rhythm of the Torah. So, that's the that's the idea I have. and um, And I think it would really be good if we could do that. And that's going to be your homework in this class. So, it's not just to sit back and listen to a lecture. There's going to be work in this class. does anybody have anything to add? Thank you. Thank you, Kathleen and Dale. sounds hard to think I have to get a notebook (laughs) well Glenn and Michelle I think that you can do it I have a lot of confidence in you and thank you Alan and Eileen for being in the class it's great to have you back I've missed you guys Thank you. Thank you, Glenn and Michelle. And if you have any questions about setting up the notebook, you know, you want some ideas or something, you know, I am I will be glad to um, talk to you about it. I will be glad to give you some pointers about it, anything you want. Oh, I'm glad you're back. I'm really glad you're back, Alan and Eileen. I really did miss you. Now, also, I would like to give you, if you were, if you would like, I'm going to give you my phone number here. If you would like to be in touch with me, Um, if you would like to speak with me at any time, well, I do work. But in the evenings, I'm home. And of course, on Monday night, I'm teaching this class. But I expect that you're going to be here too. So this is my phone number. And feel free, if you would like to speak with me, you may call me. This is um, the Vonage number in our house. And I think everybody has my email address but I'm going to give it to you again anyway that's my email address Okay, great, Uh, so if you would like to speak with me, feel free I welcome your call and if you want to email me anytime ask a question, feel free I look forward to um, being in touch with you I think we're going to end tonight a little bit early if nobody has any more questions or comments. have a great week to all of you too thank you Catherine and Dale Shalom Shalom and have a good night